In the year 2005, several interesting things happened in the world. Hurricane Katrina made landfall along the Gulf Coast of the United States. The website YouTube was launched, and Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger was elected to be the 265th Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. But none of that really had anything to do with me, because I was young and married and happy most of the time. I'm Jacob Slayton, and this is my entire life. So it's 2005. I'm in my first year of marriage. Makai and I had just gotten married the previous November. And, you know, we're still in the honeymoon phase. You know, life is sort of awesome. Um, we're still having those kind of early fights that you have. But for the most part, we were happy, you know. Life was good. We were just having a good time and, like, playing house, basically. You know how you do when you're just starting out. And it's just all fun, you know. You're decorating the house and you're kind of getting your routines and you're kind of figuring out what you're going to do and stuff. And it's just a fun time. I was going to construction management school for my second semester there. And I was also uh, working at a little outdoor shop in Little Rock called Ozark Outdoor Supply, which was only about two miles away from our house in Camac Village where we were living at the time. And at Ozark, they paid me whatever the hourly rate was at the time. I mean, it was next to nothing. It was like maybe $8, $8.50 an hour, something like that. Could have been 9 but it definitely wasn't $10 an hour. And I don't exactly remember what my hours were there, but I worked like part-time because I was going to school, you know, most of the time. That was that was kind of my main gig. And Micaiah had gotten a job at a school in town called Little Rock Christian. She had actually started the previous fall semester, uh, the same semester when we got married, you know. So she was in her second semester of teaching there. She was teaching Spanish and like a Bible class. And I was going to school. I was in my second semester at UALR. Of course, I had done a lot of my sort of preliminary classes up at Fayetteville. And so by the time I made it to UALR, I was really just doing the construction classes. And it was cool. It was interesting. It was fun. There was cool people there that I got along with. And I, I fit in pretty well. And, you know, it, my, my buddy Fat was there. And it, we had pretty much every class together. And it was just a good time. You know, it was it was fairly easy, honestly. And I enjoyed it. You know, it was hands-on. It was, it was sort of practical building stuff. It was fun. And, you know, life is good. You know, we got a Blockbuster card and we got a dog uh, this this golden retriever, we named him Solomon, and, you know, it was just cool. We just, young married couple, going to school, doing our jobs, walking the dog, that was pretty much it. And from the year 2005, there's basically four main stories that I want to tell you guys, and here they are. Number one, the first time I ever smoked weed in my life. Number two, spring break trip to the Smoky Mountains that me and Micaiah took. Number three, going rock climbing every single month, sometimes twice a month, sometimes three times a month. And number four, seeing the actual living, breathing spirit of God at the Buffalo River. That's the big story from this year, but let me hit the first three first. Number one, smoking weed. I had never smoked weed in my entire life. Micaiah had never smoked weed in her entire life. And we'd kind of been talking about it for a while, like, you know, we should give it a try sometime. You know, we had some friends that smoked weed, and so 
we thought, you know, we could just get a little bit from them and, you know, some night we'll just kind of hang out here and we'll roll one up and, you know, see how it goes, you know, why not? And so, uh, so that's what we did. Asked a buddy of mine for some and he had a little bit extra. So he rolled me up a, a nice little joint and, uh, me and Micaiah, uh, went out on the porch. We actually kept the uh, joint for about a week or so before we were like ready. And, you know, to be honest, I was probably more ready to do it than she was, but you know, she was in too. And, uh, so it was actually Valentine's day, um, which, you know, in hindsight was a terrible time to try to do this for the first time. Um, but it's Valentine's day and we're sitting on our porch in Kamek village and we decided like, all right, we're going to go outside. We're going to smoke this thing. We're going to hang out. Maybe we'll come inside, watch a movie, listen to some music. I don't know, whatever, whatever you do. Right. So we fired it up and, the difference between me and Micaiah is I do things a hundred percent when I do them, <laughs> and she's a little bit more uh, timid about things. She she dips her toe in, you know, a little bit at a time. Where I do the cannonball off the high dive, you know, that's just kind of our style. So I I hit it hard. I was also much more accustomed to smoking things. You know, I was using tobacco pretty regularly, and I, I knew what I was doing right. So and she she had done she had smoked a few cigarettes and things in her life, but not nearly as like I was doing. And so, you know, I hit it pretty hard because I'm trying to get high, right? And I, I'm passing it back and forth and she's hitting it pretty soft and that's fine. That was her thing. Anyway, long story short, I get pretty high pretty quickly. And, you know, I, it was great. You know, I'm not going to lie. I, I loved the feeling. It was wild. And I remember sitting there and telling Micaiah, like, you know, those of you that know what it feels like, you know that the word high is a good word to describe it. You know, you just feel lifted. You feel lighter. You feel silly. You feel, I don't know, high. And I remember telling Micaiah, like, I, I was just, I feel like I was smiling so much that my, like, corners of my mouth were, like, coming up all the way up to, like, my ears. Like, I had, like, a permanent joker face going on. And I'm, I'm sure I looked pretty ridiculous. But I remember telling Micaiah that what it felt like, because she didn't get high, but I did. Um, and so she was asking me like, well, what does it feel like and everything? And so I was describing it. And I remember telling her like, it feels like somebody just came up behind me and with both of their hands, they just put both of their hands on my face from behind me and just lifted my whole face upward, <laughs> like eyes, cheeks, lips, ears, everything was just pulled up. <laughs> and I was like, you know, that, that is actually a pretty good way to describe it. So it's funny. We, I'm, I'm high. She's not, but we're having a good time, right? And then we decide, let's go inside and, uh, you know, turn on some music and whatever. And so we turn on some music. And I remember we were listening to Travis, the band Travis. Great band, fantastic band, um, especially in the early 2000s. They were one of the best. And we're sitting there listening to Travis. And we're just talking and I'm being a dumb high guy and she's being completely straight. And I remember she started to get upset with me and like she was feeling guilty about doing it. And wanted to, I don't know, talk about it. And then I was being such an idiot that she was getting upset with me. And and I remember telling her, like, it's like she's talking and like her mouth is moving, but like all I was doing was I was listening to the music coming out of the speakers. And it was beautiful. I literally just wanted to crawl over there and just like get as close to the speaker as I could possibly get and just see if I can get in between the notes, <laughs> you know? And uh, she was upset with me. And I remember telling her, like, babe, I realize you're upset with me and I'm really, really sorry, but I, I, 
just yeah, I, I'm having trouble talking right now. And so she that makes her more upset. So she keeps talking and talking. And I, again, I'm not listening. And I remember like the the end of it was when she's still talking and I like had been out in another world and I interrupted her and said, hey, we should make some popcorn. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God, you know, she storms out of the room. And, uh, you know, she's like going to bed and she's mad and, and everything. And I go in there and I remember saying like, I understand how you feel. I totally get it. And I want to talk to you about this, but I'm like just not really capable of having this conversation right now. And I'm really, really sorry, but I'm going to go in here and make some popcorn and listen to the rest of this album, (laughs) which, um, you know, that didn't make her too happy. But to her credit, she was like, great, do your thing. We'll talk about it later. And of course, there wasn't really much to talk about. It was what it was. But that was just a funny story. And, you know, in my mind, I don't remember ever ever trying it again that whole year we we may have hit it one more time but it's possible that we didn't i mean that was just kind of one of the things that we did that that year and it was kind of a fun funny story story number two spring break of that year um it was kind of our last real spring break to have you know before i got out of school and because she had the spring break from her job and i had spring break from college and you know, I took some. I took the week off at Ozark Outdoor, and we decided to go to the Smoky Mountains out in uh, uh, Eastern Tennessee. And so we uh, we jump in. We had two cars at the time. We had um, I had a Z seventy one pickup truck that um, I had gotten from my buddy Peter, and Micaiah had the car that she had had for a long time that she got from her dad years ago, and it was like a I want to say it was a ninety three Chevy Lumina. And, which is just like the lamest car ever, <laughs> like zero cool factor, um, at least in my mind. That's how I felt about it. But it was definitely the more reliable of the two cars that we had. It was like um, it was like sort of a a light blue, not light blue, just like a like a pewter blue color. I don't know how to describe it. It was just a total grandma car. But you know what? It was big and comfortable and whatever. So we drive the uh, Lumina out um, to the Smoky Mountains, and we go through um, Memphis, and on the way through Memphis, I don't think we ran out of gas. We, maybe we did run out of gas. Maybe that was the thing, but we we had some car trouble. And I guess it was just gas. I don't know how we ran out of gas, but that had to be it, because it was nothing any more serious than that. We're running out of gas, and we kind of do the thing where like you realize it you start to pull over, you try to go for the exit. And we were like, I think we had like just made it off of the main, you know, uh, drag of I-40. We had made it into like the very beginning of the off ramp and then it shut down and we could see, you know, maybe a mile away, maybe a little bit less, but we could see a gas station just up the way, you know, cause they're everywhere out there. And so we're like, well, not too bad, right? We'll just walk to the gas station get the gas can, take care of it, whatever. We'll, we'll be done in an hour. So we start walking. And again, like we're in the honeymoon phase, you know, we're in those kind of happy, silly, just laughy years. We have videos from this trip and I got to tell you, it's embarrassing how just like goofy and giddy and childish and silly we were and how young we were. And, but that's, we were just like happy, you know, we're still holding hands and all this silly stuff. And, and it was, it was an experience, right? And so we're walking down the on-ramp and everything, and we kind of get to the bottom of it, not the on-ramp, the off-ramp. We get to the uh, bottom of it and everything. 
and we hear this noise behind us and we turn around and now we're on like the access road right and the gas station's just you know three quarters of a mile up and we hear this noise behind us we turn around there's this old santa claus looking homeless guy um on a riding lawnmower just rumbling down the uh access road and he was he just seemed like a cool nice guy and everything and he's gonna come right by us and so uh he rides right up next to us and he said you guys need a ride (laughs) and we look around and we kind of look at him and he's got this old riding lawnmower and he's pulling a little trailer with it that was you know like a three-foot trailer like it there was it was nothing to it little bitty old trailer and in the trailer, it was just like some junk and like there was a uh, like a five gallon bucket that was about three quarters of the way full of what I could tell was diesel fuel. And it had no lid on it. It was just like splashing around on this, you know, kind of it was like a pavement road, but it was like a crappy pavement road. And it's just rumbling down this thing. And he said, you guys want to ride? And and I looked around. and I was like, yeah, man, let's take a ride. <laughs> so. Uh, so me and Makai, like he said, hop on. And so we jump in the, uh, the trailer back there and he puts it in the gear and we're cruising down the access road in Memphis, just, you know, <laughs> like two 24 year olds and this old homeless guy. And, uh, and I was just sort of making small talk with the guy and he's, the thing is rumbling. And again, like the gas is like splashing or like trying to kind of scoot away from it in the back, but it's just hilarious. Makai's doing one of those, like, laughing so hard that she's not making a sound thing and like (laughs) it was just great and I was just like small talking with the guy and and I said uh so do you live around here man and he goes yeah yeah I live right over there under that bridge and he pointed to this bridge uh and sure enough you could see you know his little camp you know up under there and uh I was like oh cool man and how long you've been over there and he was like I don't remember what he said exactly but it was like several years you know and he had told us that he had been married and stuff and it's just wild and he was so cool and everything and he pulled us up to the gas station and i said man thanks for the ride like can i what can i get you in here like can i get you anything and uh i think he said he didn't need anything but um i went ahead and bought him like i don't know what it was a granola bar and a gatorade or something like that i tried to give him something for his for his help you know and uh, we bought the gas can, got some gas, walked back to the car, and, you know, carried on. And it was just like a fun story. It's one of those things where, like, you're in the back of this trailer in Memphis, Tennessee, driven by a homeless guy, and you just look around and you're like, life is so weird and so awesome. And I just love those type of moments. You know, I look for them. I'm open to them. And, and they're just cool, you know. And now I have this funny story that I get to share and, you know, so anyway, it was just cool. We get back in the car, we keep cruising, and the rest of the trip was, you know, awesome, absolutely awesome. We we get to the Smoky Mountains. We actually stopped in Chattanooga um, on the way out there and uh, went to see Widespread Panic. Uh, I think it was Makai's first Widespread show, and it was like my 28th or something like that. And it was my first show back from being in Guatemala, and it was like, I remember walking into the lot for that show. And if you know what I'm talking about, if, if you've been to a panic show, you know what the scene is like. Um, and for me, it just felt like home, you know, it's like, Oh, these are my people, man. I know they're stupid. I know they're obnoxious. 
and ridiculous, but like, this is, these are my people. I feel at home here. You know, these people get me and I get them and we can talk about the same things. And I was so excited. And I remember like getting into the uh, lot area and I'm literally like skipping around, high-fiving people, seeing old friends, because that's just how it is, you know? And uh, I remember Makai like grabbed me by the arm and she goes, don't lose me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yes, back to reality. I'm here with a with the first timer, you know, we gotta, we gotta keep it together. Uh, <laughs> but we went to see Panic and had a great time, an amazing show. The only song I remember from that show was they did play Chili Water, which is so much fun. Everybody's shaking the water and everything. And um, it was, that's just one of their big ones that you want to hear. And uh, so anyway, we also broke down again in Chattanooga. Um, I don't remember why. We, were, we, were, we had some other issue with the car and we had to get towed from off this mountain and rode in the cab with the tow truck driver and more small talk and funny conversation. It was just one of those dreams, you know, one of those funny experiences. Um, anyway, we, from there we go on to the Smoky Mountains, uh, camped by this river, had a great time, beautiful river, camped in a tent, you know, just lovey-dovey honeymoon stuff. I mean, it was awesome. We, we had a great time. Story number three from that year, and this isn't just a single story, but it's kind of a collection of stories of the best parts of that year and that is going rock climbing every month and at this time uh peter my buddy peter had also moved from fayetteville back down to little rock and he was also going to construction management school too with me and fat and so he was around and uh and he and i got back into our routine of climbing all the time and we'd go up to um this place called horseshoe canyon ranch up in Newton County in Northwest Arkansas, which is like, I just, I could do a whole nother podcast on how much I love Newton County and Buffalo River Country. Um, and it, it's just kind of where my heart has always lived, you know, deep down. That's kind of where my soul is, you know, that's that's how I see it anyway. And so we would go to Horseshoe Cane and we actually went every single month that year. And sometimes we went two, three weekends in a row. You know, it was me and Peter and our this guy, AJ, that I met when I was working in Ozark and, you know, another random group of people. Not random, but, you know, we just kind of had our climbing crew. My buddy Taylor and another guy named Chris and another guy named Wes. And it was just a, it was just a great little crowd. Um, and to be honest, I was by far the worst climber of the group, but I had a great time just hanging out. And honestly, Taylor and I would kind of do the same thing where we would we would climb a few routes and then we would sit down and, you know, have a smoke and drink some wine and just goof around and laugh. And that was kind of the scene for me. I was never nearly as serious about getting better as a climber. I just loved climbing here and there and having a good time and hanging out and camping and kind of just the whole scene of it, you know, the experience of it. Uh, but we would go to Horseshoe every every month. And back then, if you guys know anything about Horseshoe Canyon now, it's become a major climbing destination um, for for the whole country and even the world. Um, there's some world-class routes out there, and it's just super cool. But back in 2005, it was really just kind of getting started as a climbing destination. There wasn't nearly as many routes like available or cleaned or established out there. And the camping system was like on a on the honor system. They had like this um, pay like self pay station where you're supposed to like stuff a five dollar bill in, you know, for because it was five dollars to camp and five dollars to climb per day, and so you stuff your five dollar bill in there, and 
you know, but to be honest, I, I feel terrible about this now, but hardly any of us ever paid for it. I would usually pay $5 for the whole weekend, you know, because I was broke and nobody was paying attention. You know, I, I should have paid for it though. I should have paid for it. But we would go to Horseshoe like all the time. And it was just so cool to see like, you know, old friends up there and climbing buddies and and just, just kind of sleeping under the stars and just kind of, you know, in, in a lot of ways, like that was kind of the end of my like bachelorhood sort of extended, you know, I was just out there just kind of hanging out and and it was cool. I think I needed that kind of as a transitional thing. And I don't know, Micaiah was cool with it. And so that's what I did. Honestly, I probably went too much, but it is what it is. We had a blast going to Horseshoe Canyon every month. And, um, and I still love going there today, but that was kind of like throughout the whole year, just to paint the picture of these are the kinds of things I was doing. All right. Now the story you've all been waiting for the biggest story of 2005 and definitely one of the biggest stories of my life and maybe the biggest story of my life, the time that I saw the living, breathing spirit of God. There's no other way to say it. Now, to tell the story, I got to back up a little bit and set the stage, okay? So, like I said before, 2005 was great most of the time. Life was good. School was good. My job was fun. My marriage was good and fun and awesome. But there began to be a sneaking, creeping, darkness that swept over me or rather seeped up under me and here's how it went down in previous episodes I've told you guys about my faith and how I really discovered my faith in high school and that it remained a big and important part of my life throughout and it still is never stopped um but in 2005, um, things were coming into a strange and new territory for me, um, spiritually, that I hadn't yet encountered. For those of you that um, are spiritual people or have had times in your life where you were spiritual or some would say religious, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's not always amazing. Sometimes there's a real downside to it and you struggle with doubt and things like that. Now, I never really struggled with doubt, but in 2005, like I said, there was a, a creeping feeling of, I don't know, I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a second. But backing up, I, I've always found it uh, enjoyable, beneficial, and just good to read the Bible, and I've enjoyed it my whole life. Um, there's been spells when I read a lot, there's been spells when I don't read very much, but it's always been a, a good thing, right? Um, whether you believe in what it says or not, there's a lot of wisdom in it. It's a very ancient book, and there's a lot of really interesting wisdom in it and some great stories. So during this time, I wanted to read something new in the Bible that I hadn't really read yet, and I realized, you know, my name's Jacob, but I didn't really know the story of Jacob. You know, I, I knew sort of parts and pieces of it from growing up, but... I couldn't sit down and tell you the story of Jacob, you know, in, in any kind of real coherent form. And so I thought, okay, I need to learn the story of Jacob so I can, you know, it'll be cool. 
So in order to read the story of Jacob, you really kind of have to start at the very beginning of, of the scriptures in Genesis. Um, you know, Jacob is a major picture in both the Christian faith and the Jewish faith. And so, um, you know, it, it, it takes, you got to get all the background in. And so I started in Genesis. And in Genesis, you know, you, you have the beginning and everything, but then you get into, you know, the, the Moses story and the Ten Commandments and all that stuff. And so I remember I was sitting down, I was reading this, and, and I got to the point in the story where Moses sees the burning bush. You guys are either real familiar with the story or, or maybe you don't know much about it, but there's a point in the story where Moses is just um, like a shepherd out in the desert or whatever, and, and God is trying to get his attention, okay? And God tries several ways to get his attention, and one of the ways that he gets his attention is through the appearance of a burning bush, which you know, who, who knows what it was really like, but the idea in the Bible is that it says that the bush was consumed with fire, but it wasn't being uh, burned. You know, it was it was on fire, but it wasn't being, like, destroyed. It was just a a living bush that was also burning. Okay, right? So that, that'll stop you, right? That's, a, that's one way to get someone's attention for sure. And so Moses has this interaction with God and everything, and, 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 and sort of the story goes on from there. But I remember when I got to that point in the story, for me, I thought, you know, why doesn't God do this type of thing anymore? You know, and people say that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if that's the case, then where's all the burning bushes? Where's my burning bush? Why, why does Moses get a burning bush and he's like the last guy to get a burning bush? Uh, if God's the same for Moses, then I want God to be the same for me. I want all of it. And it, it, was, a, it was a wall that I came up against, you know, where I had to come to grips with the fact that I do believe that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. But why, why does this sort of thing seem to not really happen anymore, you know? And so I just started to really demand God to, you know, give me a burning bush. I want a burning bush. I want my burning bush moment. I want to be as big and mighty and uh, impactful for the world and the kingdom of God as Moses was. And why shouldn't I want that? You know, why shouldn't we all want that? Those of us who are, you know, people of faith, you know, why, why shouldn't you want to be just as significant as the other great heroes of our faith, right? That's, that's how I looked at it. And, you know, people always said like, well, you know, don't test God. And there's all these like sort of weird warnings. And I just said, you know, bullshit to all of that. You know, I do not care if God's mad at me because I just want to see him, then, then I, I'll, I can live with that. Right. And so this thing kind of grew and grew and grew and this feeling of like, if I don't get my own burning bush, then I must not be significant. Or really it came to the point where it was like, maybe there's no God. You know, it was like, it got to that for me. And I'm a person who deals in like extremes, you know? And so that's what it came to for me. And I began to get really frustrated with God um, and myself, I guess, in some ways, because it was like, 
what am I doing wrong? You know, whatever you can, you could sort of drill down on all those feelings, you know, and thoughts for a long time, but th- that's where I was at. Okay. So I keep reading, but you know, during this time, it was all becoming, it was like all of my faith, uh, all of my spirituality that was in my tank just kind of ran dry. And I got to the point where I was um, just, there was like a massive drought. It was like a, a, a lake that was dried up is what I felt like. There was no running water coming in. It was just me um, sort of squeezing it all out, which, you know, has basically been me for my whole life. But the difference was there was no new water coming in. You know, that's what it felt like. And we were going to church and stuff. And, but for whatever reason, that's where I was at. And I don't want to pretend that like I started all of this or whatever, or spurred God onto doing something, but this is my story. Okay. Um, and I have to tell it to you because, again, it's one of the most significant things that's ever happened to me in my life. So during this time, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm really crying out to God. And I was doing a lot of journaling at the time. I was writing every day. And I started to feel, like I said, just sort of dried up. And I also started to feel like God was not answering me. you know. And I'm crying out to him, and God is just dead, stone cold, quiet, silent, nothing. And some of you guys know what that's like. And it's a devastating feeling, especially when you're someone for whom that means a lot to you. Uh, God speaking to you and feeling the presence of God in your life. And, you know, I don't mean to ostracize or alienate people that don't feel that or haven't ever felt like, but that's what it was for me. You know, I had felt it and I felt it not there. And once you experience something that it's not there, it's very evident that it's not there. And I was just, I started to get so angry about it and pissed about it. And it got to the point where, you know, for better, for worse, I, I, I kind of gave God an ultimatum almost. And I said, look, I, I need to know if you're really still there because not only did I feel the quietness and the deadness of the soul, but I also was frustrated that at this wall that I had come to in my faith where, you know, why doesn't God do the things he used to do anymore? And and that caused me to start thinking, maybe this is all bullshit, you know? Um, maybe it is, you know? That's where I was at. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it, I could see the door of freedom opening to me. And when I say that, what I mean is, not that I was in, in any kind of a prison, but my faith had been such a major part of my life, and I was at this wall, at this this barrier that I couldn't get over or around or through or under, and I, what I wanted was to be unstuck. You know, that was the, the idea of freedom for me, was to be unstuck from that spot of being in front of the, the, the eternal wall you know, between me and God really is what it felt like. I wanted to be unstuck. And if that meant blasting through the damn wall and getting on the other side to where God is, um, great. That's freedom. That's the rest of my life. And if it meant turning around and walking the other direction, great. That's freedom. And that's the rest of my life. But I was not going to stand at the wall anymore. You know, that's where I was at. 
And it was a terrifying feeling for me to arrive at that place, right? And so I'm journaling, I'm writing, I'm praying. And meanwhile, even though things were good with me and Micaiah, she could see that something was not quite right with me. She could see and tell that I was doing some serious intense journaling and and I was doing some serious kind of solo time and I wasn't the same, you know, uh, big personality that I normally am. I was much more reserved and just quiet. And, and I remember at least one night she came and asked me, you know, in just like a really tender moment, like, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, are you okay? Is there something you want to talk to me about? And for the life of me, I couldn't speak a single word. You know, it was one of those, it was so weird. And I feel like I've almost blocked this out of my mind, you know, in, in the years since. But it, it's happened, it happened at least once or twice where she could see something was wrong and I couldn't even speak. That I couldn't, my brain was almost just off. Like I couldn't think of anything to say. And, you know, it, I, I don't like to use the word depression because I know that that's a serious thing that people deal with. I don't really think that's what it was. And I don't want to trivialize it, but I don't know, maybe that's what it was. I don't know. You know, it, it was it was certainly depressing. And I, I just, I, I would say nothing to her in these moments. And, and she was just so, um, like, I don't know, confused by that. And I'm, I'm saying literally I would speak no words. And, and, and we just had this thing. And then I just remember this, this night that we kind of had this collision of sort of her confronting it in me and forcing me to confront it in myself. And my response was that I just like, I just kind of lost it. Like I just started crying and got super emotional. And I was just like blowing my nose in my shirt and just sobbing like a baby and you know she just kind of gathered me up and was just holding me right <laughs> and um and, and you know that that made me feel better you know sometimes you got to have a good cry like that's never really been a thing for me at least it wasn't but that's that's how it happened you know and we I don't even remember that we ever even talked about it again after that you know and I think it probably scared her in a lot of ways um but that's where I was I was at this dead end wall and I couldn't see around it. Okay. I'm trying to paint the picture here. And I think you probably are getting it right. So I'm, I'm journaling, I'm writing, I'm crying. I'm, you know, life is very, very, um, not life, but my spirituality was just bone dry and, and maybe even worse than that. Like my bones were getting crumbled. And I knew that my friend Peter and I and our buddy Brooke were planning a, a dude's trip out to the Buffalo River for the fall sometime in the fall. I don't remember. Say September. I think it was in September. So we had this guy's trip coming up in the fall. And the purpose of the trip was, you know, to get away and everything. But it was also going to be like a sort of, um, I remember Peter called it the awakening of the soul. You know, that's what he named the trip. Because again, this is Peter. He's the most passionate dude ever. And um, so he's like, we're going to go and you know, awaken our souls, you know, and I, and, you know, I don't even know how much I shared with them about where I was at, like spiritually, I think I kept a lot of it in. But I think Peter probably could see that I needed something like that. 
And so we had this trip plan, and the idea for the trip was we were going to uh, meet up there at uh, Kyle's Landing on the Buffalo River and do this hike from Kyle's Landing all the way out to um, Horseshoe Bend, which is a really beautiful hike. I've done it a million times, um, and you cross the river four times, and it's just beautiful. You kind of wade through the river and everything, and you know, I was super psyched about, about getting back out there and doing that. And so as this trip is starting to approach, I remember that it was all coming to a head and I had kind of decided like, this is when it happens or doesn't happen. But I am so sick of being in this place of sort of anguish that um, when I come back from this trip, I'm going to be a different person. And I remember just kind of being real straight with God in my prayers and just saying like, look, this is, um, this is where I'm at. I don't have to tell you about it because you know me and you know my thoughts and so you got, you know what you're dealing with here, you know, and it wasn't like a threat. It was just like dead ass honesty. And I keep feeling like I have to explain that even though I was kind of making an ultimatum with myself and God, you know, I know that I don't control the decisions of the king. Okay. But I also know that he cares about me a lot and as a father cares for his children, I could see and tell that um, what I was saying to God was going to matter to him big time um, or not. And I was going to get on with my life. Okay. And I just wanted to make my feelings really clear. Right. And so the trip's coming up. I'm, it's all kind of culminating. Right. We get up to the Buffalo River and. Peter and Brooke and I kind of powwow and we get all our gear together and get our backpacks on and everything. We were going to have two nights out there and then hike back. And we were going to have kind of some, you know, some sort of intentional time while we were out there, like solo time and like discussion time where we were going to sort of try to discuss some, I don't know, deep heart stuff, whatever, whatever it was. Right. And so that's what we did. Right. We start hiking. And now, meanwhile, you know, I'm in the spiritual gutter, but at the same time, you know, we're having a good time, right? We're, we're laughing, we're joking around, we're, we're, we're being, being our normal selves. But deep down, I, I knew what was coming for me. And this whole time leading up to it, I've been just praying, like, basically the prayer that I was saying to sum it all up was, God, give me my burning bush, give me my burning bush. I was begging him, I believed in him. But man, it was getting harder and harder. And, and I was just saying, give me the burning bush, give me the burning bush. And so we hike out there and we get out to um, uh, Horseshoe Bend. And, you know, if you've been out there, it's a beautiful spot. It's on this cliffside that kind of overlooks the river. You know, you, there, people can jump off the cliff into the river. And, you know, I've done that and it's fun and everything. But, you know, so I don't know how high it is, maybe 40, 60 feet up. And then on the opposite side of the river is just like a kind of a low gravel bank. And then it kind of rolling hills, you know, comes back up into the mountains on the opposite side, right? So we're up high on the cliff and we had found a little spot to camp and it was, there was no one else around at all. It was kind of one of those weird weekends where like we didn't see another soul. And uh, anyway, nighttime comes around and we had made plans to, we're going to eat dinner around the campfire and then we're going to go off and have some solo time, you know, just off in the woods and, you know, kind of see what God has for us. Like that, that was the purpose. Right. And so we eat dinner and everything. And, um, 
we decided to split up and we realized at that point that we only had one headlamp between us. And, um, and so we decided that we would give Brooke the headlamp because he hadn't been there as much as me and Peter had, and we, we knew the area better. And so, and then we split up. So me and Peter don't have headlamps. Brooke does. And what, what we do is, uh, our, our campfire is right there on the kind of the, not the edge of the cliff, but it's close to the edge of the cliff. Right. And, Peter decides to walk upriver along the cliff line. I decide to walk downriver along the cliff line. And Peter, or I'm sorry, Brooke decides to walk away from the river and into the woods. Um, and he had the headlamp and everything. So Peter goes up, I go down, Brooke goes in the woods. And I go down to this spot that I, I had in my mind. I knew where I was going to go. I'd been there a bunch of times. It's kind of a, one of my favorite little spots. And there's just like this little um, cleft in the rock where there's kind of a, a natural seat kind of built into the rock right there that just kind of overlooks the river, and it's a beautiful view. And it was a bright, clear night and everything. It was amazing. And I'm sitting down there and everything, and just kind of, you know, how you settle in and just kind of get comfortable. And, you know, the uh, the sounds kind of start to come back up at the of the forest and the river, and it's just, just beautiful. I mean, truly, like, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's just just peace, 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 peace. And I'm sitting there and, but at the same time I'm peaceful, but it's also all of this is welling up in me, you know? And it was like, it's something is going to happen tonight. God willing. Right. And so I'm sitting there and I start to pray and I just start saying, God, just show yourself to me. Show, show me something, show me something, show me anything. I need to see you, God. It was one of those just, just deep gut things that, you know, doesn't come around very often. I need to see you, God. Show yourself to me. Show up for me, please, God. And and I remember I opened my eyes, and it was the most beautiful thing ever. I looked down, and um, down by the water on the opposite side of the river, a deer uh, just walks out of the, out of the forest, just a beautiful uh, white-tailed deer, walks out into the... Um, walks out towards the river and starts to drink out of the river in the moonlight. And it was just like beautiful. Right. And I, I saw that and I, I took it in and I said, you know what? That's awesome. But that happens every day. That's natural. Right. That's not special. <laughs> it's beautiful, but it's not special. Uh, I need something more than that. And, you know, that's just kind of where I was. And I, I said, God, I, I'm going to have to have something massive for this to matter to me in any real significant way. Um, you know, it, it needs to be a big deal. It needs to be something that I won't ever be able to deny or explain ever again. And so I keep sitting there and I look up in the sky and uh, I'm just kind of looking at the stars and, and praying, you know, and, um, and I, I look up in the sky and I see this beautiful, amazing, just rocket of a shooting star just scream across the sky. It was one of those shooting stars that takes up the whole sky, you know, side to side, just, you know, it was just amazing. It was like one of those chill inducing moments, this shooting star comes by. And I said, God, that's beautiful. That's amazing. But that happens every day. And you know me, you know, God made me a person that was going to be very hard to convince of anything, you know, and, and I, and I knew that and God knew that. And I knew that God knew that. And I said, this is not going to work for me, man. I, this is a much bigger problem than we got with a deer and a star. 
and it's just going to have to be something else, you know? And so I, I keep praying. I keep sitting there. And, you know, at this point, probably 40 minutes, maybe an hour has gone by. And I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. I got my eyes closed and I open my eyes. And you know how when you open your eyes after they've been closed for a minute, you can sort of sometimes see spots, you know, as you sort of get readjusted to the light or maybe it was the light that you had seen last or whatever. And I remember when I opened my eyes, I sort of saw a spot in the corner of my eye off to the left and I felt like my you know attention was being directed over there. And so I start looking over to the left and over to the left is again down the cliff across the river and over onto this shallow kind of sandy bank with some kind of sparsely scattered trees. You know, this is an area that like floods often when the buffalo is up really high. And so there's not a lot of underbrush there. You know, it's kind of open because it's been washed out. But, you know, the river was down to the normal level. And so you could see the, 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 the bank over there and everything. And I'm looking over there and this is the part of the story that you're not going to believe. But I see over there in the trees about, say, midway up into the trees. So say 10, 12, 15 feet up into the trees. Not all the way to the top of the trees, but like halfway up the trees. Just in the scattered area of trees, this insane, outrageous, undeniable explosion of white light. <laughs> and I know some of you are shaking your heads. You're scoffing right now. And I, I would too. I get it. I don't expect you to believe this, but this is the story. This light exploded and it, it wasn't a flash like a camera flash. You know how sometimes you see a camera flash in a dark room and you kind of have a, a little snapshot in your mind of where that light kind of hit because the flash happens so quickly. It was not like that. This light expanded slowly and it, it expanded from this sort of orb for lack of a better word, but a central point, and it exploded out, outward, the light exploded outward, 360 degrees all around itself, all the way up to me, and it covered me, it hit my chest and my arms, I even, I have chills right now when I'm telling you about this, the hairs on my arms stood up, the hairs on my neck stood up, I could see my whole body. Remember, I didn't have a headlamp, I had kind of gotten used to the, you know, darkness at that point. But when you get hit with a floodlight, it's everything, you know, and I could see my whole body. I could see the rocks around me. I still have the snapshot in my mind of my, my scene that I saw right there. The light exploded outward past me and then sucked back into itself. And then it did it again, <laughs> sucked back into itself. And this happened probably, say, 40, 50 yards away from me, right? Not that far explosion of light and and it was you know it was like i just told god the deer's not going to cut it the star's not going to cut it i need something massive and he gave me a, an atomic bomb right in my face and to the point that it 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 actually scared me and i just began to weep just sitting there i just broke down in just just soul heavy tears and I remember thinking and saying to God oh my god you're here okay I get it I, I believe you know it's all it's 
you you did it. You did you did it. And I believe for the rest of my life. And and there was a, there was an element of fear that I was like, I'm almost sorry for asking for this because I can see that you opened the curtain to me teeniest tiniest bit and it it almost ended me because of the uh wellspring of just insanity tears and joy and happiness that came from that you know it was too much to contain and and i just sat there just like sobbing right and in the in the best possible way you know and i just like soaked it all in you know and replayed it in my mind and lived it and breathed it and and i knew that when i stood up from that point to walk back to the campfire that I was never going to be the same again. It, Cause how could you, right? Uh, and it would be a travesty for me to sit on that story and not tell it to people or to live my life like it didn't happen, you know? And so it, it was just such a milestone, you know? And if you go back to the analogy of the wall that I was at in my life, it, it wasn't a blasting through the wall. It was a total disintegration of the wall completely and the ground I was standing on. You know, there, there is no road, there is no wall, you know, there's only the ever encompassing field of light that God is within you and around you and above you and through you. That's what it was for me, you know, and it was such an amazing thing to feel that, you know, and, and I know that even telling that I've told that story a bunch of times and there's always like some level of envy. Sometimes there's outright frustration that, other people don't get the thing that I saw, and I get it. I, again, I don't expect you to believe it, but I have to tell it. You know, I can't do in my entire life podcast and not say this, and nor would I want to. It's I got to see something that hardly anybody else ever gets to see. You know, <laughs> um, so anyway, back to the cliffside. I'm sitting there. I kind of get myself together, and I'm just smiling like a lunatic at this point. And so I get up and we, we all had kind of decided that after we had our solo time, we were going to come back to the campfire and, you know, discuss our time. Right. And so go back to the campfire and, you know, we're sitting there and eventually all three of us kind of show up and, and I was just kind of being quiet because of course I can't go first with this kind of a story, you know, so I let Peter and Brooks talk about their experience and, and, you know, they both had a, a good time of just kind of being alone and finding peace and everything. And I said the same thing I said to, to you guys, to them. I said, you're not going to believe this story, but here's what happened to me just now. And I told them the story I just told you guys. I, I just explained the whole thing in great and wild detail. And I'll even never forget sitting across from them at the campfire and their faces are lit up by the fire and their jaws are on the floor. You know, it's just like, What? Um, although while I was telling it, I could see a look in Peter's eye and he kind of had a grin on his face. And, uh, after I finished telling him, I said, what, you know, what are you smiling about? And Peter said, he goes, man, uh, you're not going to believe this, but I saw a glimpse of what you saw from a distance. You know, he said, I saw from a distance what you saw from the front row. And I, and I stopped and I got dead ass serious. And I said, Peter, do not bullshit with me right now. I, I'm not interested in this kind of silliness. Don't lie to me right now. Because, you know, one of the parts of my prayer that I was asking God for was that I would get the burning bush, number one, and number two, that I wouldn't be able to deny it. 
for the rest of my life. And so that was like sort of the answer to the second part of my prayer was that Peter saw it. He was a witness to it too. And he said, Jacob, look, I realize how serious this is. I would never lie to you. I would never make something up like this. I saw what you saw. And he described it too, and he saw the exact same thing from a much greater distance. But, you know, he, ex- he explained it the exact same way. And later on, the, the next day, we actually went down to that spot, um, and, and we were just kind of looking around and talking about it. And, you know, um, there's nothing there, you know, certainly nothing there. And, uh, you know, so anyway, we left that place. And, and here's the crazy follow-up to that story. Um, since then, Peter has essentially, you know, he, he's not as much of a uh, spiritual person as he used to be, you know, at, at least in that time. But he will still confirm that story for me. Every time I see him, I say, did it really happen? And he says, that really happened, man. Nothing I can do about it. Don't know what it was, but that's what happened. And uh, and that just, you know, as you might imagine, marked me for the absolute rest of my life. I actually got a tattoo um, to commemorate it, um, which, you know, the tattoo is the Hebrew word penuel, which is the name of the place where Jacob, in the story of Jacob, Jacob wrestles with the angel and um, or, or God, however you want to translate it, but Jacob wrestles with the spiritual being and he encounters the spiritual being. And um, after that encounter, he builds an altar, uh, which is basically just a pile of rocks in the time, but he named the place Penuel and he said, I don't know what the word actually means, but he said, I named this Penuel because I saw the face of God and yet my life was spared. And so I got this tattoo of that Hebrew word to commemorate that, just to mark it on my body. That's my version of the altar that, that Jacob built in his time. So like, oh my gosh, what a crazy like full circle story, right? I'm, I want to read the story of Jacob and then I end up experiencing the story of Jacob. And... You, you can't make this stuff up. I don't know. Maybe you can, but, you know, I certainly could have never seen it happening that way. So that was the fall of that year, and that changed the rest of my life in in, in big and wild and crazy ways that we're going to hear about in the future, if you'll stick with me, uh, some of which is going to come into next year, 2006, and that's what we're going to talk about next time. In 2006... I finish college, take a trip to Mexico with Micaiah after college. I get a real job for the first time ever. And on New Year's Eve of that year, I came face to face with the biggest and craziest dream of my life. And I'm going to tell you all about that next time. And, and that's the New Year's Eve of next year puts me on a new trajectory for my, for my life. And, and things just kind of get, get wild from there. And uh, I hope you guys stick with me and join me. And uh, drop me a rating and, and, and you know on the podcast thing. And maybe it's not a big deal, but whatever. It seems like it matters. I don't really know why. But hit me up on that, and I'll catch you next week. Thank you guys for listening. I love you all. Have a fantastic week. Bye. Uh-huh.